Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll reiterate that Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. In fact, now I usually take the time to ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's written for. So go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Driving Line, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. This week, we're going to talk about some cars again that we've recently driven, which is which is fun. Um, ben, you had, <laughs> hey, a, you had let's a... Just mark, let's just mark um, yeah, fun. The, the fact that we're, we're back driving cars again, because it's been a while. Uh, it's honestly been, um, what, 90 days since we've been regularly driving press cars? I think so. Which is, you know what, we, I, I really did enjoy the, and it seemed like our listeners enjoyed our feature formats that we had in the past few weeks. So if you, if you did, please let us know. Uh, and we'll try to, you know, include some of that content in the next few podcasts. But I think Ben and I are pretty excited to talk about cars that we've driven. So I want to start with what you drove because I think it's um, it's pretty interesting. I think it it is practical, and I hope you used it for its intended purposes. What did you drive? What people don't know is that before we launch into the podcast, we have a heated debate about which vehicle we're going to talk about first, and it's like uh, I guess the. Um, audio equivalent of rock, paper, scissors that goes down, trying to figure out what that's going to be. And this time, Sammy just totally blindsided me and surprised me by asking me to talk about the 2020 Ram Rebel EcoDiesel before his vehicle. Why do you got to throw me under the bus? You said surprise me, and, and that only means one thing. I Yes, but it also means that you should prepare to be surprised by my reaction to your surprise. <laughs> okay, so the 2020... Or 2021 Ram. No, Rebel. 2020. Don't get don't get too 2020 far. 2020 Ram 1500 Rebel, right? Yes. So with the uh, diesel engine. Yeah, oh. the Rebel is their off-road truck. It's kind of like I guess Ford used to have the TRX and uh, Chevy. all trucks can go off-road. Sorry. Okay, um, <laughs> and uh, Chevy has the Z71. So this is like this is the the Ram equivalent, the Rebel. So you get a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't normally get on the Ram. But what's interesting about that stuff is you can also get it on every other Ram. <laughs> What's the point? So there's a, there's like a Ram off-road package that you can apply to pretty much every four-wheel drive truck, I think. Also, you a can Rebel, get... A Rebel off-road package, right? No, no, no. It's just an off-road nope. package. Just uh, the Rebel comes with... The Rebel has a different grill, and stylistically, it's a little different. And you can also get a two-wheel drive Rebel. Smart. Um, at least I could order one on the website. I don't know the details of that, but uh, in terms of what you get, you get um, Bilstein monotube shocks, and the rear shocks have external reservoirs. Uh, you have skid plating, an inch lift, which I'm not. I think that is part of the the regular off road package too. You get 33 inch tires, and um, that's pretty much it. There's an e locker for the rear end, and, and that's not in the regular model. No, you can choose. You can choose either. Mono, uh, sorry, I said monotube. You can choose either uh, steel springs or uh, air springs. It's up to you. So the it's it's an interesting package. It's not super expensive as far as trucks go. I mean, a, trucks can range from like twenty five thousand to like eighty. Like. So, the, well, the base <laughs> version of the Rebel, it's the it's the extended cab. I can't remember the exact Ram term for it, but it's, it's four door, but it's not the huge four door giant mega cab thing. So it's forty five grand. And you get the six foot four inch cargo box with that. 
What are they going to call cabs when they're bigger than mega cabs? Ginormous cab. Um, And then bigger than that? Limo cab. When do we get ultra cab? Ultra cab is uh, reserved by Toyota for when they when they bring them giga cab when they bring the mega cruiser over. They're gonna add an ultra cab option. But uh, so my so my truck also had as you mentioned the eco diesel engine. So (laughs) you have to add forty nine ninety five to the truck to get that. So if it's almost it's it's a five thousand dollar option. That's a lot of money. That is twenty percent, I think, of the vehicle's price. Okay, and. There are, I mean, there's a couple of engine options for the Ram, um, and sorry, I do like. Sorry, yeah. I, I need to I need to correct myself. It brings the price to fifty grand, so it's actually ten percent. That, okay, that's, that that makes more sense. Well, it's important that you brought up the engine uh, because a lot of pickup trucks, uh, the pickup truck market is full of engine choices. I mean, uh, Ford has a bunch of engine options, and Chevy does as well. And the Ram engine uh, engine choices are pretty good. I do like that um, that six cylinder with I think it's called E Torque. Um, yeah, that's the, the that's the, the base. V8 that's, is pretty good too. That's the base engine in the Rebel, that three point six. Right, and the Hemi V8 is is pretty popular as well. I yeah, like it's that a good a it's a good motor. But you know, Sammy, there's a reason why you buy the Eco Diesel, and that's because you want good fuel mileage. The mm-hmm. you're getting 260 horsepower and 480 pound feet of torque, which is pretty decent. Um, but in terms of fuel mileage, in in regular driving, so I I went I, I did a long highway trip to a racetrack on the weekend, and it, it goes through through a mountainous area, so it's up and down. It's not flat at all. Okay, and even with that. At highway speeds, I saw 24 miles per gallon in real world from the truck, and like in city driving combined with highway, it was right around 23. So this I, is with a load? No, a, this is this is just, this haul, is just hauling air. Okay. And I do believe that the truck is rated at like uh, I'm looking right now. Ooh, says something like 22 city and 25 highway. That doesn't make any sense to me. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh no, I was looking. Off. I was looking at the wrong. Um, I was looking at the uh, the wrong engine. Yeah, the wrong engine. I was looking at the five point seven. Let, let me oh, let wow. me find those right figures for you. All right, and um, before while you do that, I'll uh, I'll fill in the airtime with some uh, mandering installing of some kind. Um, I actually really do enjoy the Ram. I think it's one of the best choices in the pickup truck uh, segment right now, especially when you're comparing it to the F-150 and the the Silverado or Sierra. Uh, it is probably my favorite. It has one of the best interiors. It has a pretty good-looking exterior, and um, the drivetrains are pretty strong as well. I do find them to sometimes feel a little bit um, cheap quality-wise, uh, interior quality. There can sometimes be some concerns in, in that regard. And some people have also mentioned that their long-term durability or reliability are not very strong either. And so those are the, the, the main concerns I have with recommending a Ram. But my experiences with driving them are pretty are pretty good. I've, I've really never um, had an issue with them. So you're looking at 24 combined, 21 city, 29 highway for a 4 so You're not far off. No. But I mean, no. on the highway, I would have expected better. But because I was in a hilly area, that doesn't really surprise me. But these numbers are... are Far and away better than what you would get with pretty much any other truck. I mean, that's that's about five to six miles per gallon better than I would get from like a similar size truck with like a a, a mid level V eight. So but now you can get diesels in the other two in the other two competitions, right? Yeah, in the yeah other you two can do that main too. Rivals. You can do that too. Uh, I haven't been super impressed with the Ford diesel. I mean, it's fine. No. I I like the Ram diesel a lot. I haven't driven the Silverado diesel. I don't think. Have you driven it, Sammy? No. So um, definitely not. That's a Duramax, I believe. Yeah. 
So this this is the same engine in this RAM that you would find in the Gladiator and the Wrangler and all that stuff too. Right. Um, I want you to talk to me about there's um, another really interesting feature that's hit all of these RAMs that you can get is the tailgate. Um, you can get a some you know because you need to have also I don't know if they're gimmicks or if they're functional it's, it's but you need to gimmick. have you need to have tailgate options. You need you to have not. them either made out of um, some exotic material like unobtainium or vibranium. You know, when I was a kid, there was with... one kind of tailgate and it worked. <laughs> yes, it needs to be either damped or um, protected. So um, this this RAM by... had a tailgate that opens up like it, it's like a sixty forty split barn door kind of thing. And because I can, all barn doors are split 60-40, right? I can tell you right now it's 100% unnecessary. I guess the only advantage of a tailgate like this is if you have something way at the front of your cargo bed, you don't have to lean in as far over top a tailgate that's down. That is the only advantage I see, that you're closer to the cargo area. Uh, all I could think of when I was using this, and this is the true of every multifunction tailgate I've ever tried is after two years of use in the snow and ice and salt, it's going to be a nightmare. It's going to rattle. It's not going to open. It's going to get stuck. It's going to not want to close. I just don't want to deal with any of that, especially if you have a task-focused vehicle like a pickup. I just want it to work. And hinges and um, a, a single... Or power functions too, right? Like a power... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's just not necessary. I don't. Do you, do you think this is something people need in a pickup? Look, there's there, it is so important to differentiate your vehicle from others, uh, especially in the pickup truck market where they all seem so similar. And having one more thing like this might tip the scales for a, a certain customer. I don't not know me, how not si- me or you, but I don't know how similar they really seem. I mean, the trucks are very different. I I'm in an I'm in a Ford right now that we're going to talk about next week, and the interior of the Ram is so much nicer. The infotainment is so much better. This thing I want to mention too has that giant 12 inch infotainment screen that works okay fairly that? well. Yeah, yeah, it works, okay it works pretty attitude. well. I, I like it better than the giant Volvo one because the fonts are bigger and my my old eyes can see them. Yes. Um, and there's not the, the menu structure isn't as confusing, although it is somewhat confusing. And I often struggled to find a way to deal with the uh, climate control when I was in the truck, yeah. which was a bit frustrating. Now, is that because they've slightly adjusted the the Uconnect infotainment system, like the interface, for that giant screen? So it's it's not... it, yeah, it's, it is different, but I, I want dials for the – there's like some buttons at the top of the screen on either side for temperature and stuff. But if you want to, if you want to turn the, um, the climate control to auto or if you want to change the fan, you have to do that on the screen. So it, it's kind of annoying. It's worth pointing out that Ben never uses the auto function – um, it would never use it. He is forced to test every auto climate control system in every single car, and he does that um, unwillingly uh, and gripes about it every single. No, time. I love auto. Sure. I say every every vehicle I own that has auto, <laughs> aka one of them, is set, yeah. is set to auto, and it works well. And all the other ones are turned to off. Um, I want to talk a little bit more though about um, this Ram. The first of all, I think that pickup trucks are are getting bigger and bigger. Um, not just the the actual size of them, but as well as the the seating capacity of them, and they're feeling more and more like family vehicles. Can you vouch for that in any way? Or I would I would not want to use the extended cab Ram as a family vehicle. As big as the Mega Cab is, or whatever it's called, as <laughs> big as cab. that is, which is fine and and mm-hmm. very useful. This one was like the opposite of that, and there was very little legroom in the back. And even like if you fold the seats up and you put gear back there, it was kind of a tight squeeze. I was surprised by that. 
And then can you talk to me about what was the, the this rebel? There is no ex- additional trim level on top of that. There's no like rebel limited or something like that. Like that. No, right? but you it can is- get tons of options if you want. I mean, there's all sorts of doodads and stuff you can add. Like my truck had all sorts of leather that I'm pretty sure doesn't come with its standard. Can you talk to me about that leather and the the one one thing I do not like about uh, pickup trucks is sometimes they they have a lot of like uh, I don't know how to put it like symbolism or like like designs and the headrests and and seat back yeah there wasn't a lot of that in this truck i I think you're thinking of like the the longhorn and the laramie and the the king ranch and stuff like that i mean that's being sold to people who specifically want that so i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but then you see those like those like uh tattoo style like etchings in the in the seat bags what do you have against tattoos sammy Nothing. I don't have anything against tattoos. Stop it. Kind of sounds like you have something against tattoos, though. But and then there's like the like the the, the ranching the ranch symbolism that's if, going on. If all If you're time. a listener who has a tattoo and you want to justify well, your you, lifestyle, you have setting, a tattoo. You have at least one, don't you? I want you to make sure to write into us this week and and right, put it in this place. Now my whole family's gonna message me. Um, so I, I'm glad to hear that they kept the cabin clean um, and attractive. Anything else you want to to add about this um, this pickup truck? You, I you like track. You said I yeah. I like the I like the coil spring suspension in the Rams. I think it's great in the in the okay. rear. Uh, I think I, I wish more trucks would have that. I'm currently driving a truck that has leafs in the back and it's way bouncier, especially on rough pavement. So right. that's a that's a big win, win for Ram um, around town. It's I, I, I'm able to park this behind my my house in front of my my garage in a tight alley. It's not pleasant, but it's possible. Again, something I probably couldn't do if it was the full four door truck uh, or the truck I have this week is is not something I could do with either. So okay. it wasn't overwhelmingly large, but it was definitely big. It also had this is um, no I, actually sorry I'm going to take that back. It did not have the 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 uh, automatic floorboards on the side. So. Oh, yeah. And you always hear those going up and down when you're Well, you don't want those off-road, right? Because, I mean, they're just going to mess up. Did you take it off-road? No, I did not. But I have taken it off-road in the past. So this is a lightly refreshed version of the Ram. When it first came out, I want to say two years ago, um, I went to the launch and we actually did a fair amount of off-roading in the Rebel. And I was impressed. It was good at what it did. Uh, It's, you know, it's a big truck. You're going to have to need a big, you need a big trail to use it. And you might high side it if you're not careful, but it's it's gonna get you where you need to go as long as you're not a hardcore off roader. It's it's perfectly fine for, you know, um, driving across like a, like a desert plain or going up a rocky trail or that kind of thing. It's it's you're not gonna be disappointed by it, and and the e locker does help. Did you haul anything in it? I mean, I usually do your typical. I hauled a set of. Tire. Uh, I I you know what. I did not haul any tires in this truck. I'm saving that for a special episode. But I did okay. hi- I did haul a bunch of plants um, and dirt and stuff for my garden. So that that occupied perhaps one one thousandth of the capacity of the pickup truck. Okay. And most of it I just put in the back seat. <laughs> okay. Because you can flip up the back seats and there's room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and around. did the vehicle have like one of those tonneau covers? Yeah, it did. And was it like? Was it okay to, to use or to, to get out of the way? Or did you use it all the time? Do you think well, that helped? What do you mean use it all the time? You can't not use it. It's there. That's true. Did you remove it? No. No. Um, recently, you drove a Gladiator, a Jeep Gladiator, and you had some complaints about that. Do you have the same driving complaints uh, or drivability complaints that you did with, with that? There's no comparing the two vehicles. 
Right. So you you thought this drove far more smoothly, more oh, yeah. predictably, more you were happier overall with it's, the way that it's this way better. Right. Why why you did you just want to cast some shade on the Gladiator? Well, it just blows my mind that I know that they're different platforms and they're different engines and they're different suspension and they're different tires, but like it's so it everything so about the vehicles the is different, right? Let's just right. Okay, but it blows my mind that the automaker has such vastly different uh, like like tolerances for what the, how the vehicle can feel during the most the the, the majority of of driving behaviors. Right? This was we, we've had issues with this car driving on the road. Um, and the two cars are vastly different. It, I didn't why know that I was like... going to be participating in a hit job on the Gladiator. All right, fine. We can we can just skip it. Then. I do want to talk, 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 talk about. I want to talk about the the diesel motor a little bit more. Um, sure. There were a couple times around town at low speeds where it kind of felt like I wasn't getting the response from the um, accelerator that I wanted. And I'm not sure if that was a transmission thing. It's a, it's an eight speed transmission, mm-hmm. or if it was the engine itself. Uh, on the highway, it was fine. It had plenty of power and whatnot, and it's relatively quiet too. You only really notice it under hard acceleration, or if you're parked beside a wall and you're hearing the the idle thrown back at you. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there was a couple times where it just didn't didn't respond the same way I would I would want it to. Did you find acceleration, like high speed acceleration on the highway, for example, um, to be lacking at all? No, I found it on par with what I'd expect from a big truck like that. Okay. So it managed to, to satisfy your expectations just in, re, in regards to, like, low, you said low-speed um, responsiveness? Yeah, it was just like a weird throttle tip-in thing every once in a while, almost like the transmission was confused. Mm. That's no good. Did it have automatic engine start-stop? No. No. I don't think any diesel has that. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Anything else you want to add about this? How much did it cost? You said 50 grand? Yeah, about 50 grand. And would you? How would you rate it in terms of the the big three domestic pickup trucks? Oh, the Ram is by far my favorite. Would you get it in this trim level, the, the Rebel, or would no? You get I don't it need the off road stuff. I would probably get something that's more comfortable. Okay, with not, the air. Not that this truck was uncomfortable, but do you think with the air springs, right? Sure. What do you mean, sure? Sure. Why? <laughs> you don't like the air springs? Next question. Okay. Um, what color would you get in? What color was yours? Mine was like a weird white that really did not do any oh. kind of favors to the vehicle. It had like uh, like black trim and maybe some other kind of colored, like a, like a gray trim together. And I, I really, I remember thinking that it just was not flattering to the, the vehicle. It's not the right color for it. That's not fair because like FCA has so many great paint um, combinations in its, in its, throughout the whole lineup, throughout their, all their Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, Ram um lineup that alfa you can romeo get. alfa romeo <laughs> you can get such great color combinations with their vehicles but to to give you one in a in a particularly i don't know mundane color like white when it could be that gorgeous red or something else what's well, weird because really... like it, it, white usually looks good on some trucks like i don't have a problem with what i own a white car it's just it just this particular truck just didn't do it for me it might maybe it's all the rebel stuff yeah maybe um, okay, so and for, second of all, um, did you feel like you were in a modern day interpretation of Twister while you were driving this car? No, not at all. Oh, that's too bad. Why? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> all right, so moving on. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Moving Let's on. There was another vehicle that uh, one of us drove, and that person is Sammy. And, I drove another car. Yes. And what what car was that? And, and how long has it been since you've been in a press car? It has been since early March. Wow. Um, so it's been a while. 
Um, I drove a new Porsche 911, the Carrera 4S, which is, um, a, I don't know how to describe the Porsche 911 lineup. It's a, as if a, it's an automaker within itself, the 911 lineup. There's like, I don't know, 13, 11 to 13 different variations of 911 available to people. And the 4S lines up somewhere near the mid to low range there. Um, it is It is an interesting time to look at 911s. I always think that um, the 911 is always so – how do you put this? Like every every year, it seems like there is a new competitor to the 911. Every year, there's something that the media is labeling a 911 killer or a 911 competitor. And yet, the 911 is still here. It still endures. It's still a um, pretty decent car to drive and enjoy. And it does it in a, in a very different way than some of its competition. The, the greatest threat to the 911 has always been Porsche itself. I mean, yeah. Porsche almost killed the car in the early 80s because they wanted to make the 928 and mm-hmm. kind of go after the front engine GT crowd. And when they did that, they didn't realize how many people liked the 911. They, they kind of thought the 911 was an engineering dead end for them. And it's only because there was like a furor among Porsche fans that that vehicle still was, is still with us. I want to talk about that, that, you know, the legacy of the 911 as well. This is a car that came out, what, in the, in the 60s with this rear engine design. It has a very um, identifiable profile. You can always point one out from, from a distance. And to date, it still has that profile. And I actually, the more I think about it, the more I like the fact that Porsche has stuck to this kind of design. Um, sometimes I feel like it's a little safe. It's a little, like, um, sterile. But then when you look at the way that other vehicles in its segment, let's say like the Mercedes AMG GT or maybe a Nissan GTR, these are cars that have like very exaggerated, big proportions. Um, They have long hoods to accommodate big engines. And I I love the way that the 911 maintains this very um, subtle look about it, that it is a performance car without really being a caricature of one. Well, it's a performance car that you can park in your parking lot at your dental practice and not attract too much attention, right? Right. And I will say that about um, – usually, I'm, uh, typically, I, the, the 911s that I've tested have really underwhelmed me in terms of interior. They're usually done up with a black leather and a completely forgettable accent or trim. But the model I had was done up in a, in a leather that was – they called it uh, – uh, I have the name uh, Club Leather in Truffle Brown. Club Leather so, is that leather that that smells like the inside of a club at four uh, in the morning? Is that what that's for? So it smells you know like what? a c- combination of cognac and smoke machine, and, and depending on the depending on the driver and it's and their passenger car noir. potentially it could but i i I liked the interior of this because it showcased just how attractive the 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 911 can be with that when the details don't get like sucked into the rest of the the interior um tans and leathers and and accents speaking of interior details did your 911 have that wacky new interface on the on the center console what do you mean by that where it's just um, touch touch capacitive buttons okay so it there were actually no touch capacitive buttons on the center console it had some physical buttons um, on the on the, the the infotainment system around the infotainment system for um, for accessing the infotainment system, and it had some toggles for climate control. So I thought that was really interesting because I've complained about the Cayenne and the Panamera and the Taycan having these space age looking tech techy buttons that are hard to see or sometimes 
um, showcase a feature you don't have, which I think is is far more egregious. It's a, it's a real serious thought for me. I hate it. Um, so this didn't have that. It did have some wood grain um, interior trim. It looked great. I, I cannot get over how impressed I was with the interior of this car, and that's something I'm usually very typically critical of when it comes to these 911s. Um, the gauge cluster, though, is um, there, it has like a, a couple of digital screens, and you can arrange them in this in this five pod setup. And occasionally, you won't be able to see the outermost pod pods because your steering wheel is in the way. And I think that's a very weird um, uh, design decision. Another other dis- like bizarre decision from Porsche is the placement of their their button for the heated steering wheel. Not that I ever needed to use it during the summer here, but the heated steering wheel is on the center spoke behind the spoke. I don't mind. Screen. I don't mind that placement. The only time I you mind never it is, know. is if I if it's not if I don't know it's there. But if you're yeah. an owner, you're going to know it's there, and it's a logical place to put it. It's hidden completely. Yeah. Um, anyways, back to the back to the driving of the car. Uh, driving a 911 is is a pretty pleasant experience. There are the thing I like about the 911 is that it is a very capable vehicle that does not uh, reinforce that that um, capability to you in every aspect of the drive. It never feels super harsh all the time. It is not excessively loud all the time. There is a place where you can just you can press a button, you can put it into sport mode, um, and then you can hear that and, and feel that. And then, otherwise, it is a perfectly livable car to 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 drive every single day, and I think now, that's awesome. Now, in the past, though, you and I have both mentioned that we want our sports cars to be sports cars as soon as we get into them, and not have to futz around with a bunch of buttons in order to have it perform the way it's supposed to perform. So you kind of you're kind of saying the opposite here. And what is it about the Porsche that's making you, I don't know, be more accepting of that kind of personality? I think it it goes back to what I said about the design. This is a car that doesn't look like um a, a performance first vehicle it looks like a like a luxury vehicle like a premium product something that you you you've like earned and you're not showing off and then you drive it and then if you want to go fast you can go fast i agree with you i do love it when a car feels fast from the get-go it, I, it sh- a sports car should have the option to go into comfort mode rather than go into sport mode. But now, as I guess I'm getting older and, and more grumpier about uh, comfortable cars, I'm seeing the the um, transition here for me. So uh, in terms of grumpiness, what was the performance of this car like? Amazing, man. This thing, uh, it had the, this is the 4S, so it had the upgraded engine. I believe it makes uh, just under 450 horsepower. It does 0 to 60 in a tick over three seconds, which is wild, which is so fast. Um, and, and I don't know if there's, I think three seconds is perfect. Like that's as fast as the car needs to be. Anything faster than that is like, yeah, I don't know if it needs to be on the road. It just doesn't need to be. Uh, and even three seconds, is almost too fast. Um, if you wanted something faster, there's definitely something out there for you. And if you wanted something more dramatic, like that's one of my issues with this car is that even though I had, even though I had the, ex- the optional sport exhaust system, I never felt like it sounded particularly good. I think that these, these flat sixes sound a little grumbly or a little like, uh, a little unrefined. They well, just it's turbo now, right? Yeah. And there's something about it that just doesn't. It just doesn't sound exciting. And we've mentioned the AMG GT before. That's considered a 911 competitor, and that has a fantastic um, engine note. And you can get um, like supercars in this in this or mid-engine vehicles in this cl- in this price point, which are also pretty 
um, exciting and sound great. They have more drama and more flair that's than the, the 911. That's something I really kind of want to hone in on. The idea that you I mean you set this up when you first started talking about the 911, but this is not a dramatic car. It's not an outwardly exciting car. It's a very very competent car that is um, great to drive, but mm-hmm. visually and in, in terms of visceral sensation, yeah, the car is all muted. So you would say muted. That's, muted that's compared to those, for sure. Yeah. So so I really it's, like the AMG GT for the reasons you mentioned. I feel like it's a very extroverted car, and it's a great yeah. alternative to the 911. But you're you're talking about other mid-engine cars. For you, what is what is that? Is are we talking about McLarens? Are we talking about Lotus? What does that mean to you? I think McLaren can fit in that in that uh, mold a little bit. In Canada, there's a model called the 540, and I think in other markets, the the the, the most affordable model is the uh, 570. There's also the Audi R8. That can probably fit in somewhere here. What price point is this 4S? This 4S, the one I drove, um, was very kitted out and came to $168,000. So can I get a, a lot of money. Can I get a McLaren for $168,000? I'm not. I, I think you'd have to stretch a tiny bit more. Can I get a Huracan? No. Okay. No. So, um, so we're and, still we're still sub we're still sub exotic at this point. Right. And an AMG GT, there's two versions of the GT. There's the GTC and the GTR. The GTR I think is um is right al- around this is a little bit more expensive than this and the GTC is a little bit more uh, affordable than this. So, it's an interesting place the 911 sits. And in. of course, for mid-engine you can always get a Corvette, which right, has yeah, more horsepower and is quicker in a straight line and is not all-wheel drive. And has that that mid-engine like look and, and design to it as well. Of course, so, though, it just doesn't have the same. Um, there's a, there's like a, a how do you how do you describe it? There's like a feeling that when uh, somebody who own, who owns a Porsche, they have a feeling that they've they've bought something that they've kind of earned. They feel kind of special with well, it. Well, that's and marketing. That's all marketing, man. But I will admit, one of the most interesting things about a 911 is that you get this vehicle. And you can outfit it. My my model was was expensive because it featured so many options. It's had, according to the build the 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 build sheet I have, almost forty thousand dollars in optional equipment, which is a lot of money. I don't see that so, as a plus. I see that as an. Annoyance. I need to I need to describe. I need to finish here. Um, what I'm trying to say is, you've got this car that that is subtle on the outside, looks like a 911 that came the year before, and the year before that, and the year before that. But on the inside is something that is special and unique to you that you've picked out, you've chosen, and feels like something that you've you've put together. And well, you, is, you might have, right? I mean, I don't know how right. many people actually order cars to spec and then wait for them to be built, and how many people are going in there with the instant gratification of driving something off the lot that's been ordered in a popular equipment package kind of deal. But I, I, I agree. Wanna, I want to go back to the Corvette thing because you've driven them both now, and you've driven them mm-hmm. both in the last few months. And I mean, what is what is the comparison between these two cars? Because the Corvette is faster mm-hmm. and much cheaper. Like considerably, a, it's a hundred thousand dollars cheaper. Yeah, it's a hundred thousand dollars cheaper. It is so much cheaper. And if that, if when we're talking value, it is there's no comparison to be made. It is the better purchase, and it looks way crazier. Yeah, there are some angles of the 911 uh, of the Corvette that are attractive, but I'm not. I didn't not... say attractive. I didn't say. I said it, it, like if you parked these cars side by side, no one's looking at the 911. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there are some people who will be okay with that. I don't know. You know, you spend so much money, it needs to either feel special to you or make you seem like something out out of the ordinary, right? I'm like very that's... curious as to how many people buy a 4S and want it to feel special. 
I, I almost feel like it's like you were talking earlier, it's you know, about earning stuff and blah blah blah. I almost feel like it's expected. Like once yeah. you hit a certain a certain income right. level, it's expected that you have a car like the nine eleven. And so you buy that car, even though you're not really I, maybe you're an enthusiast, maybe you're not, but it's more of a conspicuous consumption thing. I think so, there's a, that's a fair argument to make. I think you're right there. There is a bit of an expectation. And that's a, that's a pretty strong um, position for Porsche to be in that. A few other cars are in that – like a, a 3 Series was kind of in that segment. No, I agree. Of- it is, it's, it's, they've done an, a masterful job of marketing the 911. And that's why there's so many different versions of them because if you do want that enthusiast version, you can get it. If Like I was, I was at the racetrack, as I mentioned, on the weekend, and there were a bunch of candy-colored 911 GT3s and GT2s. You know? Really? Wow, cool. Yeah. And if you want to drive those, you can drive those. But you don't have to. And that's, well, then, so as, you, as you mentioned, like that's something that is positive for Porsche when they're trying to do volume. And then that's what's really cool about the, this current 911 is that it is 100% livable in a way. It has weird seats. It has a very deep front trunk. Um, it is, it, it's comfortable. It's attractive on the inside. It's easy to, to drive and live with. Uh, it has all the modern amenities that you expect from a car, including adaptive cruise control and lane keeping and um, that camera surround camera sur- system. It has vented seats. It has 18-way uh, adjustable seats. It is a very modern-feeling, accommodating car um, where other vehicles are uncompromised about their performance characteristics. I feel like the 911, I don't want to call it compromised, but it does offer you everything. Um, that you would want for your for your price point for your money here. So it's it's an easy to live with car with performance that's there but attenuated when you don't need it. Absolutely, and an exterior design that is that is subtle. That is and was your subtle. car manual or PDK? Mine was PDK. Okay. And I have to add that the 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 one design decision I didn't like about the interior of the car is they got rid of um, they changed the the shifter into an electronic shifter. You know, one of these like it's just a it's basically a little a tiny stock on the center console and then a couple of buttons for park and manual. And it really does that detracts from the, the interaction a little bit. You only need to press the, you know, the, that you need to move that nub just once to put it into drive and that's it. But to change it from, you know, a nice, you know, thing that you can grip into this tiny little like toggle switch, it just was very, it's a very uh, big change for them. And say I'm not nu- sure say I'm, nub again. Nub. Yeah. Is nub in the manual? <sighs> I don't think so. I mean, why not though? Yeah. Um, Fun word to say. Well, I, I've, I've, I've been hot and cold on 911s in the past. I'm very much a fan of the Cayman, uh, the 718, I guess is what they're called now. And I'm, I, I have been hot and cold on the, on the Cayenne as well. There, it's so interesting that Porsche has these ebbs and flows in their product um, design, at least the way I see it. And I think that's really that's interesting. That says a lot about an automaker for it to be able to make something that can sometimes offend and then sometimes you know hit hit it on the mark. It means well, that offend is a very strong word. Maybe not offend. They can miss the mark and they can hit the mark. So I think that means they're always trying something new, both for their enthusiasts and for new customers. I mean, we've compared we've complained about automakers like like um, like Mercedes or or BMW or let, let's go back. We'll just say Toyota and Lexus that they just don't do enough sometimes. They, don't, they just stick to what they've already done a million times before, and it doesn't feel like they're moving the needle anyway, in any way. And then I think Porsche, when the time is right, they, they progress their car um, in an increment that, that is pretty good. Within limits, though, I mean, if you look at yeah. a, a Cayman, or, well, not so much a Cayman, if you look at a Cayenne or a 911 from 15 years ago, 
it's going to look very similar to what you can currently get. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's it, there is there is a, a fence within which or a corral within which Porsche has to play with these cars. Their design, yeah, it's the only thing that I think they can really improve upon is exterior design. Could they make a new 911 that is more attractive than what they have without fundamentally changing that heritage? What gets me about the 911 is how much bigger it's become. Yeah. And how yeah, incremental that is. And you don't really notice it until you see them driving past a previous 911. And I'm not even talking about like a 993 or something or like a a, a car from the 80s. I'm talking about like a, a car from 10 years ago. Yeah, it's <laughs> It huge. is a lot bigger. Absolutely. Um, it, I don't know. It, 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 I want to ask that question again. Can they make a vehicle that is wild or, or more um, more expressive Without changing the the design language, the heritage of the 911. Well, what's interesting is you know they recently came out with the Taycan, right? And like that yep. was a chance for them to do something completely new because they were they were freed from any type of platform. And it's not had. an unattractive vehicle, but it does look a little derivative of the Panamera, right? Yeah, it's not something they didn't they didn't take any big risks. So I think that might be our answer in terms of what mm-hmm. Porsche wants to do in terms of um, moving the moving the needle on style. It's, it's not really a priority for them, and I can understand why. But I will say this: the the Boxster, eh, but especially the Cayman, look a lot better than they did when they first came out. I think the right. the Boxster has always looked fairly good, but when the Cayman first arrived, it had some awkward proportions. Um, really, it was yeah. always one of my most attract, my favorite vehicles. I found, I was I, instantly I, attracted to it. The roof, the roof line for me was just strange from certain angles, and I feel like on the modern car, that's not the case at all. And I, I, right. I I've really appreciated how that car has has evolved. So it's definitely, I mean, it, within the company, they, they are capable of doing it. I would love to have a Cayman uh, of any generation. It is one of my favorite cars um, that I've ever driven. Uh, that I look at, and it's truly the best car Porsche makes. Yeah. I think that I mean with the right equipment, it's uh, actually maybe the best base too, right? Like it's it is a great car even if you get the base model. Yeah. Um, I wish they would change the soundtrack to it, but hey, that's that's something you can do in the aftermarket, I guess. What are you gonna do? Um, what else do you want to talk about with this car? Anything in particular? No, I, I, that kind of covers the basis for me. All right, very My cool. Porsche curiosity. If you, dear listener, have any questions about that Porsche or about any other car or tattoos. Uh, it's, or tattoos, uh, it is, or content on the, on the podcast. It is very easy to get in touch with us. I encourage you to, and we've had lots of great interaction with our um, listeners in the past. I don't think we've put them off the podcast in any way. Ben, have you? I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know how to answer that either. Okay. Uh, so the way you can do it is you can head to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're there, you can fill out a little contact form. And it goes into our inbox. Another way you can get in touch with us is through social media. You can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Uh, one last way you can get in touch with us is through email. Just send an email, uh, just address it to Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And uh, if you want to subscribe to us, it's easy to do that on the website as well. We have lots of little buttons that will take you to your favorite podcatcher, whether that's Google or Apple or uh, Spotify or CastBox. They're all there. Um, you can also find us on your service just by typing in Unnamed Automotive Podcast and uh, hook, hook us up through that. And the uh, website also has the advantage of we occasionally post links to articles that we might have talked about during a broadcast. But we also have every past episode is there for you to check out. So we're, we're closing in on the big 200. And mm-hmm. if you want to just binge and purge and get through everything that we've done to uh, arrive at the point we're at now, that's a, a good way to do that is through the website. 
And Ben, I want to, you said the the magical number 200, and I want to bring up something that is, that blew my mind. We have apparently been listed in, in Chartable's Top 200, which is a ranking website for, for podcasts. So first of all, thank you to the listeners for helping us get to that uh, ranking. And second of all, if you want to help others find the podcast or give them a heads up on what the podcast is about, be sure to leave a review on any of the podcast services that you do. It means a lot to us, and it helps other people find the podcast. For sure. And uh, next week, Sammy, what are you going to be driving? I will – I'm not sure what I'll be driving actually. I, it might be ne- <laughs> next week or the week after. We'll have some cars. Uh, what are you I'll driving? Be, I'm driving an F-250 Tremor, Sammy. Oh, my with, God. With a 6.7 liter turbo diesel V8. So I have a lot Why? to say about this truck because I've been driving it everywhere and uh, doing truck stuff. And Great. all I have to say is it's, it's a lot of trucks, Sammy. It's a lot <laughs> of truck. It sounds like a lot of truck. I mean, the Tremor and F-250, there's not much more. And a seven-liter uh, engine. There's not much more you can add to this equation, no, right? really not. Unless there was like a machine gun on the roof or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like the next level after this. There you go. So thank you. I'm looking forward to that, Ben. And thank you to your listeners for, uh, for listening this week. Bye, everybody.